This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. G'day, everybody. Welcome to the show. Now, never let it be said that I don't deliver bang for your non-paying buck. <laughs> because I've got four members of a group from Melbourne called Ascarian. Four members to share their thoughts and opinions on what's going on in their world. You'll hear from... Reese, who's the bass guitarist, Lewis, who is the guitarist, Gaia on keyboards and vocals, and John, who plays guitars and is also on vocals. Now there is an album that'll be coming out later on in October, so I ask if the tune, which you'll hear soon, if it resembles the rest of the music that will be across the album. We dissect its moody, melodic death metal sound. And uh, we also examine the changing landscape of music consumption within social media and Spotify. So a diverse conversation as you've come to anticipate. We also dive into a conversation about ideal tours, inspiration, band dynamics, you name it. It's all there. So here's towards a futile existence. And once it's done, you'll hear from the members of Ascarian. Let's go.
has sent across your track. I've had a listen, but more importantly, I've seen the video. I really like the video, by the way. I love what you've done there. Shot in 4K, 4K, right? Because it looks like 4K to me. Yeah, and, it is. Yeah, magnificent. And I love it when bands actually take the time to get into the devil of the detail, if you know what I'm saying. So anyway, listening to the new tune, a few things came to mind. Moody melodic death metal with a symphonic touch and plenty of Driving fast passages, choppy rhythms, and gnarly guitar solos. Now, I've already asked for Johnny and Reese on their take, so without actually giving it away, what you two think, what do you think, Gaia and Lewis? Have I hit the nail on there with the hammer, or would you would you care to add comment? I like it. I think that's a that's a great description. Yeah, pretty much. It's uh, it's. I think it's the right blend of chaos and melodic and storytelling. I'll see. Storytelling. Tell me a bit more about that aspect of it. Is that a lyrical thing, or are you storytelling through the through the different passages? Because I noticed what I liked about it too, and I, I should add, is it's a bit of a saga there. There's not just one or two, the routine of the one or two riffs you keep returning to. There's lots of variation there. 
Yeah, well, with the music side, um, I wrote all the rhythm guitars in the space of about half an hour. Um, it was a, just a very emotionally fueled night. I had a couple things in my personal life go down, and I picked up the guitar, and I also picked, uh, opened up GarageBand because that's how I usually play. GarageBand, um, I just hit record, and I just bashed out all these riffs, and I pretty much bashed out all the riffs within half an hour, and then it was just a matter of putting them into um, into the structure of the song. Is it democratic, so or you, very- do, you, do you go to the guys and say, this is how I want it? And there's sort of a bit of a vote in a, in a roundabout way, or can you tell me about that process? No. Um, what happens with writing is a lot of the time I will write the guitar riffs, um, record them, send them over to the band. They have a listen to it, and they're like, I reckon we could work on this, or I reckon that's good, or I reckon we can change this up a bit. And then also it's just the guitar riffs. Once we all get together, um, when everyone starts adding their parts and adding their flavor to it, it turns into a different song. Then you're like, hey, I really like what, for example, Reese did with that part. How about we extend that part or we, you know, or maybe the lyrics won't fit that well if we keep this section for too long. And then we workshop it like that as a band. Hmm. How do you resolve your differences then? Did you do it in a rehearsal studio where it's like, well, if you've got a better idea, show us that sort of thing? Yeah, I believe so. Unless anyone else wants to correct me. <laughs> I don't when you, feel when like we say, have. Oh, sorry, you, you go. Oh, you, um, go. When you say like resolve differences, like if say, um, do you mean like if we have a disagreement on like a riff Johnny has come up with per se? Is that what you mean? Like, yeah, any any or any and all of the above. So I'm also a musician too, and um, I just remember in, in years gone by, people would storm out of rehearsal studios if we were arguing about arrangements or whatever. <laughs> you know, and I mean, this um, is back when I was a lot younger, of course. But <laughs> yeah, I don't. It doesn't really work like that with us. Like Johnny usually comes up with very solid song, you know, really solid songs and riffs, um, and. You know, we make as a band. You know, we can. We it's our job to make it work as well on our end. So you know, when Johnny gives me a riff, I have to come up with as as a baseline that is satisfactory, not just to Johnny but to myself when I because I'm going to be playing it live. You know, to people, I've got to look like I'm enjoying myself playing a bass. So I've really got to compliment his riff that way. Mm. Guy, what yeah, you I reckon? feel like we don't. Really yeah. have- we don't really have disagreements. Like, I don't know, from what I've seen anyway, I think it's such a creatively collaborative environment. I don't think we've, as long as I've been in the band anyway, um, I don't think there's really been one major disagreement or fight because everyone's quite, there's definitely no hierarchy or sense of like, I don't know, there's everyone's coming at it from an equal plane and we just all genuinely enjoy each other as musicians and, I don't know. I think like if there's ever any kind of like, oh, I'm not sure if I agree on that. There's there's never like, I haven't seen there's any hard feelings or any kind of like. We more like figure out how we can reach that middle ground rather than you know have like a big blow up. That's how I see it anyway. I don't know if anyone disagrees. Yeah, that's that's pretty much how I feel as well. And what Reese was saying about the base, the main structure of the song that. Johnny came up in, with initially. That's, I think that's already pretty much very much agreeable for most of us. I guess we were just like trying to figure out all the um, 
variance and then hey is this going to be better this way or that it's, i don't think we've ever come across a moment where it's we have a very 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 strong feeling against something so yeah it's been it's, it's been pretty smooth sailing i would say yeah I would most, say oh yeah you go sorry guy you go oh. I was just going to say, I don't think there's anyone, there's any sense that like anyone comes in and, and is like, this is how it has to be. Like, it's very much, we all just work well together to, you know, like if someone brings an idea and it's like, that's great. Let's like, let's work on it. Let's explore that. Like, um, yeah, which is nice. I hear. Yeah. And Lewis, what I was going to say is, you know, your way around the fretboard. So with regards to your soloing, have you got stuff worked out in different keys beforehand? Because I know some musicians do do that and they have a bit of a solo bank, not a riff bank but a solo bank, or do you have to listen to the song more than just a few times and then come up with something that you think re is really appropriate? Lewis, do you want to go first since you have the main solo for the song? Yes. Yeah, so um, for this single, for um, Futile Existence, it's, uh, it's actually pretty, um, I feel like Johnny has landed this on a nice silver plate for me. Like it's, it's, it's well-structured. It's a very nice progression it's a very nice build up all i need to do is just to play really like um there's there's a little bit of like writing like i i think i played just most of the time in studio I'll just try to improvise new things and then by the time we went to the studio i already have a better idea of like hey that, that sounds good hey this sounds good and then from that point on i kind of have gone like yep that's that's how i wanted it but um yeah i don't i don't think in this album i don't really go to johnny and say hey can we change the solo structure can we change the chord progression can we make it faster can we make it different thing it's just i just slot it in i think there's a bit of um there's a little bit of um constraint as well like i think we feel like we really want to get to studio and get things done as well and we are pretty happy with what we have and i don't i don't like the idea of trying to achieve perfection in that sense, I, I just like, hey, it sounds good. Let's go to the studio. Let's let's make it final. And it, um, I'm very happy with, with how it turned out. Cool. I love Lewis's solo. I have, a, I have the first solo. It's like the really short one um, mm -hmm. during that breakdown sort of part. I just improvised that. I didn't really know what I was going to do. I just did it. And then um, it was the first take and Chris, our producer, was like, hey, that's pretty solid. He's like, do you want to take another take? I'm like, yeah. I did another take. It was significantly worse. I'm like, all right, we'll just stick with the first one. It was <laughs> it was good. So, one take. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I'm with solos. I do have like lick ideas that I keep in mind. But in general, I'm very much like – free-spirited when it comes to solos. I like to just go with what's going on in the moment. Most of the solos on the album that I did, I had maybe written a little bit of a general idea, except for a couple. A couple of them I just completely improvised, but most of them I had a general idea. Um, then I improvised the rest. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I was just I was drawn to a conversation that I had with Mike Browning recently and um, was talking about... Who's the guitarist that was in the band that was uh, Mike Davis, of course. How could I forget the great Mike Davis, who was a very strong influence over Trey Azikov. And what Mike told me um, that 
that uh, Mike would do was he was so schooled with regards to scales and the various modes that they're in. Effectively, that's what the band's riffs and solos, they evolved all from that, that sort of thing. And I thought, wow, that, that basically means that it's infinite. You can dive into any scale and mix it up with any mode and just play it in any sort of, you know, variation on the rhythm and the melody, and you can come up with a song provided you've got a tasteful idea of what a song what a, what a song sounds like. So I was sort of angling to see if you guys might have gone in that direction, but uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm I myself when it comes to playing as well, I'm a bit more. Let's just see where it, like the Van Halen thing. Who knows where these sounds come from? They just sort of come from somewhere cosmic, and you sort of channel channel them and just sort of have to sort of get out of their way. Mm. Well, I'm Greek, so I grew up. Um... I, I grew up with Greek music all around me. So I actually mm. really like the darker sounding scales. So I love using the Phrygian dominant scale because mm. it has that like almost the like Arabic, um, yeah. Eastern European sort of dark scale. sound. Yeah. So I and love my- using that sort of stuff. And a lot of my riffs are based around that scale. Also the classic harmonic minor. I love that as well. Gaia? Go yeah, I think I... Oh, Lewis, I don't... Um, I don't think I think about scales as much these days. Uh, just try to, not even sure if things that um, I've done is strictly fit into any specific scale. Um, specifically, it's uh, it's trying to let it flow, I guess, with a bit of um, music theory behind, but then it's not like I consciously try to, hey, you know what, this will sounds good. But yeah, there's a lot of way to do things. Mm. What about, okay, so this is one song that I've heard. Now, I haven't dived deep into your back catalogue, even though I know you've got an album and an EP out there. Because oftentimes, especially when you're releasing a strong like this, it's a quite a strong song. It can be the pivot for taking the band into a different direction. So is this song, does this song strongly, Is it does it resemble the new material you're writing? In other words, is this what we can expect moving forward? Oh, Indeed. Absolutely. Um, and it's especially a strong like beginning to what is to come for the new album. And moving forward, like with the material we are making now, like when we were making writing this album, like to begin with, like we had it just in mind as like a, a four-piece death metal band. But Johnny always had in mind to take uh, this band through a new direction of having more sounds with it. So that meant a keyboard and that meant uh, both, uh, clean vocals, um, hence Gaia. Um, and um, moving forward, like in songwriting terms, I, I believe like with discussions we've had, like we are going to have a more collaborative space for us to write together and really like be more inclusive of everybody's styles because we've got a lot of styles in this band. I mean, you have Johnny who's like deeply rooted in metal and um, the, the extreme side of it, basically. He's he's probably into some really obscure death metal band as we speak that no, that I've never – yeah, there we go. Um, then you got Lewis who's basically – he's got an old-school style of thrash behind him and it's 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 distinctive like you can hear it in his playing and then you got tim who's really into prog and he listens to the weirdest if i may if, if i may speak freely the most weirdest shit i've ever heard in my life but he can listen to anything really and accept music as is 
And then you have Gaia, you know, she, well, I mean, when, when you probably heard the song, Futile Existence, she has her own, she has, her, she has presence, right? And you can see that's her style. It's atmospheric, it's gothic, it's beautiful, it's there, basically. She's, she's, she's there, basically. Um, and then you got me, who listens. Oh, um, I can't really explain my sort of, because it's all over the place. Rounder. Um, yeah, I get it. You're a bassist like I am, mate. So, yeah, I get it. Yeah. You're forced to listen to everything yeah. when you're a bass player because it's just the deal. You can, you can barely hear the bass in most metal metal releases these days. I was just watching Ingested when they played with uh, Archspire and they don't even have a bassist in their band. And that's fairly common with a lot yeah. of extreme outfits these but days. They've got a really good bass player. They've got a really good bass player, Archspire, as we speak. Um, What's his name? Is, he, is it Jared Smith? Jared Smith is his name. Not sure. I've, I've interviewed the drummer, but uh, yeah, I, yeah, I heard him. I mean, I saw it, and I, I don't know how those guys keep time because they're playing at bloody you know two hundred and ten beats per minute or higher, faster, I think, than that. And uh, it's just so bloody noisy. Uh, one, one of the few gigs I almost had to go and take a break from because it was just so so much of an onslaught. But they'll take that as a compliment, and they should. <laughs> but uh, I. Talk, you're talking right, about bass, though. Yeah, talking about bass, though. I, well, not I. We kept saying to Chris when we got our mixes back for the album, hmm. bass needs to be louder. We always want the bass to be popping because, as you said, you don't really hear it that much in death metal. It's kind of like almost shunt to the side. But Reese is an incredible bass player. He has so much flavor. He's rarely ever playing exactly what the guitar's playing. He's always playing his own spin on things his own spin on the riffs that just fit perfectly. And he's got some amazing, um, almost like lead bass style work on this album that it has to be heard and we always wanted it to be louder. Hmm. Yeah, cool. You mentioned Chris a couple of times. Now I'm 99% sure you're talking about Chris the Melko there. Yeah, that's that it. Yeah, that's yeah, him. Yeah. Good bloke, mm -hmm. good bloke. And so, so I think you've mentioned already that, not too many takes were required. Now, uh, having spoken to Chris a bunch of times, I'd say that he also helps create an environment where you feel comfortable putting in your best performance. Would you say that's the case? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Mm. Yeah, gotcha. I've had a lot of deep dives with him and I asked him this question. So here we go for you guys. You've already mentioned, Reese. you mentioned an album, okay? But it's not always about albums in 2023, if you can believe where we are. We're at almost 2024, but here we are. EPs, even them. Singles seem to be the order of the day for a lot of bands in terms of, I know that's that can be more of a metalcore, deathcore thing, but it's still, it's a very successful strategy for a lot of bands. Was there any, ever any doubt for you guys to record an album or did you just discuss the single strategy? Album's the way to go. I'm Look, I'm traditional. I love albums and I love listening to albums from start to finish as they're supposed to be intended to listen to, in my opinion. Um, some of my favourite albums uh, intended to be listened to from start to finish. Um, especially someone is like, for example, a hip hop, I, I love hip hop as well. So I love Kendrick Lamar and his album to Pimper Butterfly. That's a hundred percent meant to be listened to from start to finish as he has this beautiful poem that goes throughout the whole album. It starts off with just like one or two lines before a song. And then it's those same two lines, except an extra three lines. And it just, by the end of the album, you listen to the whole poem from start to finish. And it's supposed to be like the album is like a story and a theme. Same thing that we sort of did with the first album, with The Seven Deadly Sins. We wanted it to be kind of like a story of going through like the seven stages of hell. 
Um, yeah, and same thing with this album. We just wanted it to be, we debated a lot about the structure of the album, which songs are going to sit where and where, how's it going to flow the best. Mm. And we actually, so it was always discussion about the album, yeah. Mm. And we actually do have poetry in this album as well, um, written by by Tim, that kind of anchors, yeah, adds adds to the mood and adds to that kind of storytelling element. So I think it's definitely best listened to as a piece. Mm. Yeah, if I was gonna if I was gonna steal man the single strategy, I'd say it gives people an opportunity to get into your guys and then be able to take a cup of breath before the next thing is released. And if I was gonna straw man albums, so I'm just playing devil's advocate here because I'm old school too. I'm an album guy. I'd say that they can be overwhelming for a lot of people. And I can tell you, I get I, I couldn't even guess how many releases I get each week. It'd be over two hundred, maybe, and that's just albums wow. that I get sent globally. All of the, you know, the PR companies and stuff, they send you stuff. But I, I must get, uh, that's a guess. I mean, I could be out by 10 or 20 either way. But you know what I'm saying. There's the, the amount of releases out there. And there are some weeks, to be honest, especially around now, because around now is when you start getting all the albums before Christmas, you know, a couple of months before Christmas. Bands have sort of got their shit together around about now. And PR companies and record labels tend to want to do things now in the lead up. And it can become just so overwhelming. So, yeah, I just put that out there. But yeah, playing playing devil's advocate for um, asking you the question, therefore, about touring and albums. Do you tour and then release the album or do you release the album and then tour? We're doing album, then tour. Yeah, because it's not always yeah. the way these days. I'm just speaking to no, someone fairly I mean- prominent about that, actually. And uh, it's... It kind of depends where you're at and where your fan base is actually up to as well, because you can introduce the songs live and then release the album. That's the point. Though. Sorry, that's the de- the devil in the detail on that one there. Mm. So, but you'll have it out before you start doing shows. Yeah, we're, yeah. it's out October thirty first. Yeah. So that's on. That's exactly two weeks from now. Yeah. And it's kind of what our fans expect of us to do anyway because we did it for Pillars of the Faith and it's kind of how other bands that we know are doing it. So, you know, you would, you know, record the album and then eventually release a new single, whatever it may be, and then you build up, up you build up as much, you know, publicity for this album so people can listen to your new, your brand new songs, your awesome new songs, and then you just go on as many shows as you can after the fact. It, it, it's kind of how it works for us, but maybe for like other bands, um, maybe that have a lot more prominence or a bigger fan base that you know they can maybe do it in the interim. You know, you know they can start touring beforehand. That's fair enough, but I think for it, it works better for us as we just do it in like chronological order: release album and tour. Mm. And I, 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 I totally can see your point, Andrew. It's like we, these days we live in a, there's like oversaturation of like releases and then, mm. you know, we live in a world of ultra short attention span. But we, I don't know if the strategy that we have is the best in terms of like pushing shit, pushing sales, but then think sticking with an album format is the right way for for us it's just we we want to tell a complete story instead of like selling ourselves yeah that's exactly right we want to we'd want to tell our story and the only way we can do that is through an album um one song yeah singles are cool but 
I love listening to albums. I'm traditional, like for example, even like I try to stay as well away as I can from like, um, what is it? You know, the fast media where you, you know, short attention spans, um, the reels and I, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Reels and stuff. I mean, sometimes I get sucked into it and I watch it for a bit, but then I personally prefer reading a book or like watching, like if I'm going to do a, um, watch a video. I like watching long form podcasts, um, that sort of stuff. Like I like actual story in depth. I don't really mm-hmm. want to sell our soul and become like just, I don't know, not, not bashing anyone that does it, but like, yeah. Yeah. No, I get, I get where you're coming from. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We well, got to, you got to start where you want to start and then just let it evolve over time. And if that means keeping on releasing albums, more power to you, especially if you're talking about having, poetry and having things that are woven in and in amongst all of the songs like a unifying theme if you like without sort of going into a concept but uh you know when you guys are playing have you guys got some shows lined up with uh chris and uh orpheus and triple kill that sort of thing is that where you guys land uh no we did a we did a show in ballarat with them about a month ago or two months ago yeah but right now yeah we're we got two shows. We've got one in Ballarat, one in Sunbury lined up on a Friday, Saturday night. So and then unfortunately with Melbourne, all the venues are pretty much booked right now. So we're yeah. trying to wait for an opening to, you know, book a Melbourne show. It's a bit of causing us a bit of strife. Yeah, that's that's what I mean about getting all of these releases that I'm getting at the moment. It's the same everywhere. All of the the places are booked up because the bands are getting out there and doing their things. So so what what does your ideal when I say tour, four or five shows, Eastern Seaboard, who would you love to tour with or to play some shows with? It can be anybody from Morbid Angel through to local local bands. I know exactly what Johnny's going to say. I know exactly. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to say it, and if I'm wrong, I'm never going to give myself. May, may I? May, okay. yeah. I? This came up because they're actually coming to Australia and um, every, every time we mention Bohemoth, there's a big smile on his face. Basically, Johnny would. I, I reckon he would definitely love to do a Bohemian. Um, I think he would I, die on stage. Yeah. I think he would just yeah. would go to sing the first note and drop dead. <laughs> yeah, I'd probably die of a heart attack on stage. <laughs> well, Dicey's uh, mates with Noble. Oh you know that? Just hit and do sit Dicey up. <laughs> See what he can do for you. Really? No oh, way. We yeah. didn't. I didn't know that. <laughs> uh, all right. Someone get email speed dial. Well, yeah. no, we have his email. We'll just. Uh, I'll give you his phone number, Johnny. Yeah, please do. <laughs> so you can make friends with Dicey. You know what? I'm going to call him so much that he's going to have to block my number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. I think it's probably easier to mention who he doesn't bloody know these days or who, who he hasn't brought into the country or done tour managing for over in over in Europe when he was over there. So, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, the world's your oyster when you've got – when you're – you, you know, you, I'm not saying you guys are starting out, but the band's less than a decade old is what I mean by that. And you're still forging your way and – you gotta. If you don't ask, you don't receive, guys. It's that simple. No. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly right. You gotta put our foot through every door. Exactly. Well, yeah. Every yeah. door. You've almost got to get to a point where you become annoying. Is is what I've noticed. If yep. you don't get to a point where the PR companies aren't forced to sort of send out a bunch of things because you've got all this new shit coming out. Like I really liked what Anthony and Triple Kill did recently, where they did the twenty four hour. Was it a GoFundMe thing? It was a fundraising thing, I think, that they did for the band. And just trying yeah, to think. Yeah, I of, think it was a 24-hour live stream. Yeah, 
yeah, something like that. But it's just you're just trying to think outside of the square. And I, I hate social media. I tell you that now. It was my major at university too, so it's not like I don't have any skin on the game. Skin in the game. It's probably why I hate it because I understand it, and I understand that we're all up against it. Unless you throw, you know, tons of money at the algorithm, it basically punts you down the bottom of the list. So you've got to come up with. You've got to be very creative around it all. So yeah, just, well, even yeah. like we're on TikTok now. We're on TikTok now and like we'll post a video and it'll get something like 15 views. But then if you promote it, if you pay $20 to promote it, you'll get 3,000 views. It's like, yeah. but still $20, 3,000 views. It's like, it's not much when you think about it. Yeah. And the audience is there. It's such a massive platform. And you have to pay $20 just to get like 3,000 views. It's a bit, it's a bit messed up. It's a bit crooked. Someone's mm. making a lot of money. Yeah, and if you link off, if you link from the platform, say to your website or whatever, it then drives you down the algorithm again because they want you to keep within that yep. wall garden. You know that's how it works. You know, yeah. so you're really up against it. You, you really once you get start getting into the nuts and bolts of how it works, like lift up the hood and look at the engine of it, it's really quite insidious. Yeah, Chris was saying that as well. Like when we released the the single, he's like, just post about this, you know, the single with the the album cover photo. Have links in the comments. Otherwise, they're not going to promote it on the algorithm because they're trying. You're trying. The links are just going to, you know, an outside source. They want to keep you boxed into Facebook or same thing with Instagram, TikTok, and everything like that. They don't want you leaving that platform. You've all. Got, I, I get it. You've all got roles and jobs and no doubt careers in and amongst all of that as well. And but how far do you think? How far do you want to take this? As far as we can. Uh, we, we we should like I we can't really predict where we will be in ten years time realistically, but where we would like to be in like ten years time is playing you know bigger stages, having you know entertaining a lot more people, having you know already done a national tour or gone to many countries. You know we wanted we want to take Iscarian as far as we can. Um, for our not well, not just everyone else's benefit because we play awesome music. <laughs> um, I want a scarian full time. Yeah, it's. I don't think I want a scarian full time. Yeah, it's not a hobby band for anyone. That's what I really uh-huh. love. Is that no one's like coming in like, I don't know. I feel like once you've cast something into the graveyard of hobbies, like you're not. It's not ever going to be something that's like it's. Like, that's fine if that's what you want to do. But no one's got that attitude in this band. It's very much like it's a serious commitment. I yeah, would much rather be playing music than, you know, working a crappy job and waking up in 30 years and being like, what if, what if I, you know, actually put everything into music and just like, we got a, we got a shot to make it like, and we didn't take it. That would be like, I'd be rolling in my grave or I'd be alive, but I'll still be like rolling, you know, rolling above <laughs> yeah. <my> grave. <laughs> yeah, rolling by my grave. I would just roll off a cliff. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I agree with Guy. I don't. I don't even like the word hobby anymore. He says it feels like something you put in a second place in your life. Yeah, mm. yeah. I feel yeah. like hobby is one of those, especially for the arts. It's something that it's a word that people can throw around and be like, "Oh, it's great! It's great! You've got that hobby," and it kind of discounts like the amount of commitment emotionally and physically that it takes to like be in a band or to do something like that. And I think like most, yeah. 
for a lot of people, it's, it's, you know, certainly for us, it's like it's not something that you just do as a little, oh, that's just a little like a fun little thing I do on the weekend. It's like it's something that's really important. I get that all the time at my work because I'm a teacher and then everyone in my office is just like, oh, it's good that you have a little hobby that you do, you know, outside of school. I'm like, no, it's not a hobby. And like, oh, what do you mean it's not a hobby? I'm like, well, I have the choice be doing the thing that I absolutely love that I'm passionate about for the rest of my life or, you know, this. Mm. I'm, I don't I know which one I'm choosing. Look, don't get me wrong. I love teaching as well. But, like, if I had the choice between music, which is my absolute number one passion in the world, mm. or my job right now, it's not even a discussion. Yeah. Have you spoken to guys uh, like Dave Haley, who, who that is their job, that is what they do, he's one of the few in Australia that's made it um, – in that way, have you had conversations with a bloke like him? Because as I say, he, again, he's a mate of Dicey's and I, I only had a conversation with him recently and uh, I didn't go down this down this particular avenue of discussion with him. But um, so one guy I did, just very quick story before I rounded out with a question, the question, but I spoke to Bob Daisley and you guys probably know who Bob is, but Ozzy Osbourne's bass player yeah. and wrote all the music and wrote the lyrics. So without Bob, Ozzy would be, he'd probably be dead to be honest with you. A guy from Sydney, you know, a guy from the suburbs of Sydney that went and went and actually did it, you know. And I, when I spoke to him back in the day, two thousand and two, when I was probably closer to your guys' age, I um, the one thing he said to me straight away was, "Well, you're not going to make it in Australia. You've got to go abroad." So therein lies the quandary. And when I look at where Dave and Psychroptic uh, have most of their commercial success, so a lot of success here, of course, but I'm talking about the volume of commercial success it's Europe and the United States. So, have you guys thought about? The plan, how to get over there? Um, not like it's like we've always said we've always wanted to go to places like in particular we wanted to try for Japan most likely because it seems like the one place we would get a lot. Not to say that any other country wouldn't give us, but re- like we 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 probably the furthest we've gotten is saying yeah we want to go, we we really want to go. But um, we haven't gotten there yet. So, but we will. It's a discussion we've got to have, 100%. I mm-hmm. think um, we're going to see how this album goes. Hopefully, we get a lot more listeners, a lot more fans through this album, through the shows that we're going to be doing. And after that, we can really sit down, have a discussion about the future. But right now, it's looking bright. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. I've just come back from Japan, actually. Magnificent country. Gosh, right into their metal, too. The only country that I've been to that has not just one, but a series of dedicated heavy metal bars that are good. They're not just, you know, a couple of goat's heads and the aesthetic. They've actually got the music and they're knowledgeable and they're playing Morbid Angel over the speakers. So uh, that shocked me because I hadn't, I don't think I've ever seen that anywhere. So, yeah, Japan's a good, good goal. Yeah, no. I think it goes even further than that. It's like, yeah, you can say that, hey, the heavy metal is thriving in the States or Australia, but then in Japan, it's more like you don't have like a, even like their their mainstream pop market is very metal. Like they got like distorted guitars everywhere. And it's like a you know, children's song with like um, teenage boy band and stuff. It's just so normalized. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I did notice that, actually. It was nothing for a regular person, just just noticing 
not that you can hear what people are listening to or what have you, but people's tolerance for heavy music is a lot higher there than it would be here. Most normal people, you know, say the normies here would go, turn that off, check, whatever, you know, or it's devil music or you're Satanists or whatever it might be, all the all the usual bullshit that we've copped over the years. But it's it's true also too in the Philippines, too. Uh my wife's mother's from the Philippines and I mean, you could you just have to walk a couple of blocks over before you meet a guy in a Burzum t-shirt or what have you. It's pretty pretty true across most of Asia. Actually, that point there, you're able to sort of just wander around and just you'll find a bloke within, I don't know, give it half an hour and you'll see someone in a heavy metal t-shirt. And it's certainly I'm in Queensland. You you may see somebody here, but it's going to be very it's you're unlikely. Put it that way. Yeah, I've been to Scandinavia and it's very you know it's very prominent there as well, but. Getting to Scandinavia from Melbourne would be ridiculously hard. <laughs> yeah, well, I know I'm really good mates with um, Jamie Aston from Demi Borgir, and uh, he did it. He did it back in the day, but he did it back in the day when it was impossibly difficult. And the stories he's got, you know, when he went over to Norway, um, yeah, I'll let him tell them at his own accord. Believe me, but uh, yeah, it's it's moving from one country to another. Thirty years ago was uh, not what it is now. I don't think, but, uh, you know, where there's a will, there's a way, isn't there? You just got to sort of forge ahead and have shared goals, which it sounds like you, you guys all do, and magic tends to happen when you do that. 100%. I can't wait for cool. that magic to happen. <laughs> <laughs> are, are there any topics or any any uh, anything else that you wanted to sort of bring up or talk about? Um, just shout out to you, Andrew, for having us on here. Um, just very excited about the album. Can't wait. It's uh, eight tracks and we're very excited because it's a very evolved sound compared to our first album. Our first album, I still love that album. It's got a you know close part of my place it's got a place in my heart because it's the first album. But yeah, very happy with how this album turned out. I'm super proud of everyone involved, especially Gaia and Lewis coming into this album, first album with us. It's awesome. We can't wait for to drop this album. We can't wait to write more songs, get album three written. That'll be really fun as well, especially because I feel like this album was like almost testing the waters with what we can do with our, our new members. I reckon album number three as well is going to be an even more evolved sound from number two. Every album is just going to keep remaking ourselves, re- keep evolving mm. as songwriters, as people. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, killer. Yeah. Anyone else on the panel there? You all look. You all look like a big panel up at the top of my uh, Zoom thing. So it's like a you know, <laughs> like we're like we're on uh, CNN or Sky News or something. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I just wanted to quickly say, like, leading on to what from what Johnny said, it's been such a like special experience for me because I I joined I joined like auditioning with my lyrics for Futile, um, and then kind of went straight into like writing the album so I feel like this whole year that we've been working on the album has been my first year in the band so it's kind of yeah it's cool to have had that be my introduction and I feel like I'm really I am I'm so keen to work on the next one and it's just been a great such a positive experience nice lads take us home Reese and Lewis what else do you I'll leave the last word with you guys Lewis, I'll go last. You go. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, um, I guess when I when I joined as Karen last year, like I, I would have not imagined 
that we will end up with this kind of album. It's it's just such a um, such a far evolution from the traditional, extremely guitar oriented death metal into a much more um, expansive, multi dimensional thing. So it's 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 great. Yeah. And um, stuff that you were talking about, Andrew, earlier about like going overseas and take it to the next level. That's, um, I guess, for me, it feels like because for me anyway, because I've I've been focused so much about what we have now, I haven't been seeing that that far ahead. But then it's it's pretty inspiring now that thinking about it, but you know, taking that step into the door and then just yeah, we like like you say, we need to pave our way and then. That's the only way that the magic will happen. You, you can't just, we can't just, we can't just be content of where we are, and we just, we have to look outside a bit. We don't want to be a garage band for the rest of our lives. Yeah, yeah, more than a hobby, as you say, it's not a hobby anymore. You guys are deadly serious about it. It's great to hear. Yeah, Reese, leave the last word with you, mate. Hi, oh, it's 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 me. It is me who has the last word. Um, look, you know. With this new album coming out, like, um, it's been quite the journey. It's been quite crazy, um, you know, um, from minute one, you know, when we set out to make this album, I mean, like, it, it, it's become much bigger than I could have ever imagined it to have been, you know, the sound, how much we've evolved that from point A to point B, which is now. And, um, you know, to see all these guys um, to really step up to the plate and really play their asses off on this new album and really pull a sweat, you know, out of their, out of our, out of our lives to make sure this album sounds the best it can be, which it does. And it's, it's excelled so much. And, you know, if, if we were to stop tomorrow, like still it, this, and we release the album, it'd be freaking fantastic. Still like, you know, this album, is great. It, it is fantastic. I, I haven't I'm like when the masters came and I haven't stopped listening to them. Like if I if I be maybe self indulgent for a minute, you know, just having to listen to that bass part, just in, in, in that song Empire again, the guys' lyrics, um, or or having to listen to Zeitgeist that that really the really start of Zeitgeist. You know how fast it is and how you know old school Iscarian it sounds um, and. You know, just to hear Tim's drumming in May Hell, Lord, I don't think any other drummer could have done that. I don't think anyone else in the world could have done this album. And I'm very, and I'm proud of this album for that reason. So, yeah. But, yeah. And obviously, thank you for having us on here. Yeah, um, and so also, a big shout out to Dicey for organizing this. Love that man. And also, love Chris for producing this mammoth of an album. Or, helping us out along the way cool last point where can people go so we've obviously got facebook and instagram because i've seen them but you got Bandcamp. can they where can they buy the album in other words like physical copy which is obviously the best way to support you guys uh Bandcamp. we don't have a physical copy we were looking at printing vinyl it's so expensive mm. but right now it's probably something that we're going, going to release later down the line hopefully next um, year we get the funds up mm. but Bandcamp, you can stream us on Spotify, Apple Music, um, I think Google Play, Tidal, all the streaming platforms. All the streaming platforms were on, but Bandcamp is probably the best 
place to buy our music if you want and to. The merch, they can buy the T-shirts from there, can they? Or where can they get them from? We're getting them sorted on Bandcamp. They'll be sorted by the time the album comes out in two weeks. There you go. Call to action right there. Support the band by buying their merch and then turn up to their shows and buy lots of beer. Drink lots of beer. There you go. That's what exactly. I'm doing. It's yeah. very cool. Very cool merch. We all wear it. It's glittery. Good stuff. Makes me look pretty. Ah, cool. I love the glittery stuff. I used to have those Cradle of Filth t-shirts that were designed by Chris Bell and Nigel Wingrove back in the day and they had all this gold and silver and oh, stuff yeah. on them and they, were, they weren't feminine at all. They were really tough because of the graphics. If you remember those old graphics that they used to have on them, they weren't uh, they weren't the sort of thing you could wear to church, put it that way. <laughs> Great. Yep. Fantastic, guys. All right. Fantastic discussion. You guys have got a great great team. Thank you, Thank so, you much. so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for having us. Thanks, team. Thanks very much, guys. All the best. Hopefully see you up here soon. No worries. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Just to recap, you heard from Reese on bass, Lewis on guitars, Gaia on keyboards and vocals, and John on guitars and vocals as well. That's the members, minus a drummer, of a group called Ascarian from Melbourne. Do check them out via the social and Bandcamp links that John mentioned just at the end there. Okay, if you enjoyed that chat, there are many more just like it over at scarsandguitars.com. And I know you're an intelligent audience because you're listening. And it means you like reading. And I've written a book, so you're in luck. So click the link in the banner on the website, on the front page there, you'll be taken to a marketplace of your choice and you can download a sample. You know, you know what to do from there. Hit me up if you do actually purchase it. I really appreciate it. All right, some more information to share about the book is coming up, but before we get to that, I'll bid you a fond farewell. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith, and I'm the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast. Until next time, it's a goodbye for now. This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew Mackay-Smith. I've been the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast since 2017. The first musician I interviewed for the show was David Vincent from Morbid Angel, and things have just snowballed from there. In all... I've posted almost 650 podcast episodes featuring conversations with many of the leading lights of rock, heavy metal and beyond. It just got to a point where I thought, I need to write a book about all this, so that's exactly what I did. In Scars and Guitars Volume 1, you'll read a heap of deep reveals and commentary, such as Des Fafara talking about Cold Chamber and why the band will never return. You know, if you're a a band just starting out, you need to hear me. Do not start a band with partners, ever. Yeah, wise words there, sage advice, mate, for anybody. Don't ever, because I I can't go do Cold Chamber right now unless I get others involved. Phil Anselmo talks about the episode in his career, which gives him the greatest sense of accomplishment. I think the staying power of the the fans and the staying power of the... of the songs, you know, whether it's Pantera, Down, or Superjoint, the fans remember the songs. Alex Skolnick from Testament confirms that, yes, playing the guitar in Ozzy's band is anything but an ordinary gig. Will Silent Oz from Demu Borgir write a book? Pa from Sabaton gives advice to people who want to start a band. Look at the team around you, look at the bandmates. If, uh, if the guys want to be on the stage, then it's all cool. If the guys want to be backstage, 
then it's not going to be cool. Current and former members of Cradle of Filth discuss the band's seminal 90s material. Read about the reaction to George Lynch and Mark from Suicide Silence's comments when they throw shade at then-President Donald Trump. We have this idiotic monster, you know, this egotistical, self-aggrandizing, complete piece of shit in there. I, 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 just, I just can't understand how we've gotten to this place. And yeah, we kicked a hornet's nest with Sepultura. Percussive overlord Gene Hoagland talks about recording with Chuck Schuldiner. Chuck was always, um, you know, he was, he was very, you know, very open-minded, and and he was into having his his musicians that were playing with him just reach out for for the best stuff that they had. Phil Campbell from Motorhead discusses what it takes to get sober. John Five answers his critics who dismiss his tenure with Marilyn Manson. You know, my name is John Five, and Manson gave me that name, and um, I had some of the best years of my life in that band and, and learned a lot. And we get the lowdown on Trey Zagtoth from those who would know, including his mother. All across Scars and Guitars Volume 1, there are moments of tension, relief, tragedy, exhilaration, and throughout it all, you'll obtain insight that I believe no one else has managed to obtain from many of your favourite artists. So treat yourself. Scars and Guitars Volume 1 is currently available as an ebook with a print edition on the horizon. Follow the links attached and download a sample. I'm sure you'll be compelled to read the whole book. <laughs>